GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. In this episode, we unpack the latest election polls. GBC and The Chronicle released theirs last night. The Panorama newspaper released theirs today. And both point to the election being extremely close and difficult to call. GBC Chief Executive James Nish joined me in the studio to talk about the poll findings. But first, in our second of two The Leaders live interviews, we hear from Keith Asobardi. If you missed the interview with GSLP Liberal leader Fabian Picardo, you can listen back to it in yesterday's episode of this podcast. But today we covered new ground for 15 minutes with the GSD leader, Keith Asopardi. Election 2023, the leaders' interviews on Radio Gibraltar. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us for the next 15 minutes. We're asking questions, uh, putting questions to Keith Asopardi, the GSD leader. We've covered a lot of policies so far, but we will attempt to cover new ground that may help the undecideds make their minds up. As we did yesterday, we're hoping for a fairly robust interview over the next 15 minutes. Good afternoon to Keith Asopardi, and uh, let, let's go straight into it. Good afternoon. Uh, what would you say to one of our listeners or viewers who thinks that you... Uh, because you're in front of us today, we put the same question to Mr Picardo, that you, as the GSD leader, are running a dirty election campaign. Well, I'd say that that would be unfair, because I think the lies and scaremongering is coming from the other side, from the GSLP Liberals. They've been running a campaign full of lies, full of fear. Fear that they're the only ones that could do the safe and beneficial agreement. That's that's not the case. We'll come to the La- treaty. Lies, lies? lies that that we'll be soft on on sovereignty. Lies about Andorra. Lies about me. You know they they are now trying to scare people on, for example, pensions or community care. These are all issues that are out there. We've been talking about during the whole campaign. I think it's outrageous and disgraceful that the GSLP Liberals are running that kind of campaign. We've been trying to run the opposite campaign, targeting the issues, speaking about the issues and being quite robust on them. Why do you think they're trying, or why do you say they're trying to scare pensioners? Well, I think that they are running scared about the real issues in this campaign, about the domestic failings of this government, about the about the, the important things that people are concerned about in health and in housing. And what they are trying to resort to now is a bargain basement approach to politics, writing to everybody, writing to every single association, writing to every single estate, going around Gibraltar, trying to make commitments that aren't even in their manifesto because they're desperate to avoid the debate on the real issues that people are concerned about. And you're not doing that when you go to estates? When people say, I've got this problem, how can you help me? You're not making promises to them? We're not doing that because we're not writing. We have the opposite style. They are writing to every single estate. They're writing to every single association. They're approaching it on that kind of level of throwing money at any kind of commitment that is raised at any final stages during this campaign, we are doing the opposite. Of course, when we're going around the districts and we're giving our speeches, if people are approaching us on their personal concerns, on their personal issues, of course we're going to talk to them about it and try to uh, speak to, to them about possible solutions. But it's a completely different approach that they are following and everyone can see it and it's shameless and disgraceful. 
But if anybody has watched some of uh, your videos on your social media, they may be thinking something similar, that you've been no saint in this campaign. You've, for example, in your latest video, uh, put your finger in the wound of the 1996 riots. You've used innuendo around the McGrail inquiry with tense music. But it's a very different approach because we are being robust on the political issues of the day. They are running away from those political issues and instead are approaching a salesman, bargain basement approach to politics, which I think is disgraceful because it's not even in their, in their manifesto. And they are resorting, worse still, to lies. We're not doing that. We're not resorting to lies. It's l totally legitimate politically to remind people of the robust political points that face this government over the last 12 years and their failings, whether it's about McGrail or whether it's about their history in relation to what happened previously in other administrations. In 1996. That, that is political points that are robust. Yes, of course they are it's robust. It's relevant to the issues are, of the day. They are relevant because the, this administration, led by Mr. Bigardo, gave a solemn commitment that he would stamp out smuggling, and everyone knows that smuggling still exists and exists around Gibraltar. If you go to Waterpool Terraces, they will tell you that those that they, they still see smuggling on uh, many nights, and, and you speak to the residents at, at uh, Eastern Beach and they will tell you exactly the same. You were there yesterday and, and, uh, and I followed some of your hustings and you promised to eradicate tobacco smuggling. How will you do that? Absolutely, because I think some of it is about resourcing the police and, and showing the political willingness to do, to do this. The real political willingness to back the police to the hilt and make sure that these things are done. And there are practical solutions as well. We're just talking to the Waterpool Terrace Terraces residents there, there are practical solutions that can be done to make sure that you make it more difficult for people to use our coastlines to, to, to tobacco smuggle. You're treading a f fine line there by suggesting that perhaps the tobacco smuggling uh, is in some Way that the, the GSLP Liberal Alliance has in some way been complicit by not resourcing the police properly? I am not treading a fine line. I'm being absolutely candid about it, that I think that the, the GSLP Liberals were elected on a particular ticket, like they were elected on a particular ticket of halving the debt and then they quadrupled it. They were a particular elected on the ticket of cracking down on smuggling and in reality what you're seeing is a, an approach to the issue that is insufficient in terms of eradicating smuggling. And if you want to have a better, more robust approach on these issues, the option for the electorate is the GSD. Let's move on to your campaign. Even some of the people who say that they want change have described your campaign as lacklustre, especially at the beginning. Slower to start regular press conferences. Slower to reply to allegations against your candidates. Slower to get your posters up. Am I right in thinking that you yourself were uh, engaged legally, professionally in a complex legal matter at the start of this campaign and therefore your time was divided up between your professional work as a lawyer and your election campaign? No, look, we've been running the campaign that I've wanted to run. The only person who I've used to use the word, heard use the word lacklustre was Mr. Picardo on GBC. It's not lacklustre, we're just following a different campaign. I've said from day one, we're going to run the campaign that we want. We're not going to run the campaign that the GSLP want. That The GSLP want to go to the district on a particular day. I'm going to go to the districts as we've organised it. They want to write to every single association or district in Gibraltar to sell the family silver. We're not going to do that. We're going to conduct an, a robust but an honest campaign and we're going to do it in the way that we wish to. And that's exactly what we're doing. 
I'm putting questions to you uh, on behalf of the people of Gibraltar, which I've heard people talk about or suggest to me directly. Um, were you a full-time leader of the opposition or did you divide your time between your legal work and your work in Parliament for the people, uh, in particular at the start of this election campaign? No, I have been absolutely... I mean, as soon as there was dissolution in the House of Parliament, I've been absolutely dedicated to this campaign. There was one particular case on one morning that I had to do because I couldn't pass that case on because there was a particular hearing and it would have been a disservice to my clients. But otherwise, I've been absolutely dedicated. I have not done anything legally since dissolution. Have I been a full-time leader of the opposition over the last four years? No, I haven't. And everyone knows that. And, and I've it? been very frank about having to juggle those two careers. But I believe that we, we have, I have, over the last six years that I've been leader of the GSD, I, I believe that I have dragged where we were into a position of strength, where we are on the cusp of obtaining change in this community. A lot of people wrote off the GSD, a lot of people wrote off me, but here we are on the cusp of being able to deliver change and it's up to the people on Thursday. You, at the GSD public rally, your candidate spoke of uh, feeling uh, echoes of the 1996 campaign when, of course, the GSD was elected to government. But if I can draw that comparison, then my understanding is that Sir, uh, Peter Caruana, as he was then, had given up his legal work in the build-up to the election, but you didn't. So no, he I was mean, a that... full-time leader of the opposition. You've been a part-time leader no, that's of the opposition. No, that, that's not the case. I mean, I, I mean, I'm the sole surviving member of the 1996 team, and I work with Peter, you know, very closely during that campaign and in subsequent campaigns. And I can tell you that he was facing the difficulties that I had because he was juggling his legal career too but we ran a robust campaign in 96 we're doing so again we're giving people the opportunity of ensuring that change is delivered on the 12th of october and i believe the the majority of people will respond the polls confirm the idea uh, that i think the gslp liberals have confirmed uh, given their lineup and the change in it uh, that there is a certain appetite for change but people who want change also want to make sure that the new lot if there is to be a new lot that they are good enough so what would you say to people who think that at times in this campaign especially given the polls indication that it, it is really about the weakest candidates in each team, that certain candidates in your team have really not looked good enough? Well, I would say that certain candidates in the GSLP have on occasion during this campaign completely underwhelmed, not least last night. I mean, so, so you know, that what is source for the goose is source for the gander. So, but I believe that we have a rounded team in the, in the GSD full of talent that can deliver on the on the 12th of October, if we're lucky enough to be voted in by the people of Gibraltar. Look, the polls show a close election. But in 1996, the polls were up and down. In the end, what really mattered was the result. And in the result, people came out en masse. They voted for the GSD and we got a much better margin of victory that we did in any poll preceding the election. So I think that the polls do indicate an opportunity for change. That's how I analyse it, and I think that opportunity needs to be grasped by people by going out to vote in numbers. The pensionable age for men and women has been different. Um, let me ask you about your position on equalisation and, and with reference, if you would, to the GSLP Liberals who say they've cracked the problem and can now lower the age to 60 for men. Um, what's your view? Well, 
look, we've put our position, which is that we want to see equalization. We're not going to commit to any particular age of equalization. We said that within 12 months, having taken actuarial ad- advice on the impact, the financial impact of that, we will then issue a consultation paper on the age of equalization. But so, can, I, can I just ask, answer on the GSLP point? Because you've asked me. Well, it's incredible, isn't it, that 12 years ago, in 2011, the GSLP had a commitment to equalize the age, the pensionability age, at the age of 60, 12 years ago. And now, magically, they say this can all be sorted out if, uh, if they're re-elected in, uh, in 2023. Well, look, if, if they really could do something about it, well, they should have done something about it 12 years ago when they were committed to it. Now, no one can believe these magic solutions that they're producing on the eve of, of polling day, 36 hours away from when the polls open. The GSLP Liberal leader, who has been the Chief Minister, says that the uh, treaty arrangement with the EU is very almost there. Um, and given that, as you have pointed out, there is no text, where do you think that deal and all of its nuances is captured if there is no text? Where is it articulated in not, if not in the mind of Fabian Picardo? And if that is the case, <laughs> how are you not at a disadvantage? Well, it is articulated in the work of the officials that we will inherit and in the work of the British government that says through the Foreign Secretary that they will support whoever is elected in Gibraltar on the 12th of October. So we will inherit all that work. The, I take at face value what Fabian says, that they are 0.1% away from a deal. We will inherit all that work that is held by the officials. We will build on it and we will be able to deliver a safe and beneficial agreement for Gibraltar. I've got the experience but presumably to, to, not deal, all of it is. to deal with the highest level of negotiations. I've done that before. I've defended Gibraltar before and I've got the legal experience to look at it with a legal eye when a text is drafted. So, so an example of a negotiation that you have driven that has had a good outcome? Several, actually. But, I mean, the, the constitutional reform talks were spearheaded by me because Peter Caruana asked me to do that and I spent eight years negotiating with the UK on, on constitutional reform. I was the financial services minister that dealt with the EU tax threat and had to talk to, to Brussels with Peter uh, on a number of, of issues that dealt with the European Commission. So uh, I've got that senior experience. I've got 30 years experience as a lawyer as well. And, you know, people know, know my track record and know I will defend Gibraltar. Well, the, oppos- the opposite side point out that your track record is of saying one thing in office and another in opposition, the jungle of companies being a classic example. Well, that's not true because what, uh, what, we, what we said in '96 was that there was a web of companies and we did tackle um, some of those of those companies. Did we have more companies at the end? Look, the, the reality here is not the issue of how many companies exist. The issue here is that they have parked one billion pounds, over a billion pounds, into this opaque structure of companies that the GSD never did. Let's be clear. They are creating a parallel government, a parallel government which is unaccountable And when you ask for information, the answer you get from Mr. Bolsano is that you can either like it or lump it because he's not prepared to give you that information. Can I ask you for some quick-fire answers in the interest of covering ground that I think you have the right to to reply (laughs) on within the 15 minutes allocated? Um, Tax, income taxes going up under the GSD? No, it's not. I mean, what we have said honestly is... We're not discarding tax rises, or, but we don't want to. We're the party that lowered tax from 49% to 25%. The GSLP 
promised you tax cuts and in, and instead rose. There were tax rises during their administration. All I'm saying in the manifesto is You're we're in a really difficult position. So what I'm not going to do is tell people electoral fairy tales. That's honesty. What you're going to get from Mr. Picardo is lies. Very quickly then, um, your status as a lawyer and uh, remuneration received during your time as leader of the opposition, which I put to Mr. Picardo in his capacity as chief minister. How have you managed any conflict of interest that may have arisen directly or indirectly from your role as leader of the opposition that could have benefited the law firm that you are uh, uh, a part of? I don't believe there have been any conflicts of interest. Uh, look, I, I'm a litigator, so you know I don't get commercial work. So that automatically almost takes you out of the conflict zone in that sense because I do no no work on land deals I you know I'm not I'm not in that kind of work I a lot of my work is doing litigation uh, you know su- suing people defending people in different areas a lot of international clients on international internationally based work so I, I don't think there's been uh, any conflicts in, in relation to my handling of legal work in respect of my time as leader of the opposition. Finally, you've admitted that the GSD executive might have chosen its candidates differently if they knew what they know now. In particular, the question was about Yusuf Elhana and comments that he's made which has, uh, which have offended uh, the Jewish community and others, of course, in our community. Uh, and um, Mr. Elhana's views were posted on social media. They weren't secret. He posted about them for many months. So are you telling the electorate that you didn't know about them or that you didn't fully comprehend the impact they might have. Well, I had not seen the comments that I have termed wrong and unacceptable. I had not seen them until after he'd been selected as a candidate. I've made that very clear several times. I've also said that I've apologised to the Jewish community president and indeed uh, Yusuf has apologised. And I also believe that he, as a young man, deserves a second chance if he has apologised. But there is one candidate in this election who doesn't apologise for his comments on disability, doesn't apologise for his comments that are racist and discriminatory in overturn to the Moroccan community and that candidate is Sir Joe Bolzano. Uh, Keith Azopardi, the your time is up. Uh, thank you for speaking you. to us, GSD leader uh, Keith Azopardi. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. GBC and the Gibraltar Chronicle newspaper have released another poll and here to unpack it with us is the GBC chief executive. Good afternoon to James Niche some similarities to the previous poll conducted last week and more generally consistency across the three polls that GBC has been a part of. Good afternoon, Jonathan. That's exactly right. And also today in the Panorama newspaper, a poll. And I've got the three polls, the two latest polls from GBC Gibraltar Chronicle, which were done jointly, and the Panorama poll in front of me. And as I look at them now, I'm going to try not to get confused because the results are so similar and so close that you could just mix up the papers and it could mix up which poll is which. That is how close and how tight it is. Slight difference in who governs from the GBC, Gibraltar Chronicle and Panorama polls. But interestingly, and I think we'll we'll have time to go into it in more detail, the top 10 candidates in both our two polls and the Panorama poll are exactly the same. So the top 10 goes to the same, not in necessarily the same order, but same top 10. Then it's followed... Suggesting then that those 10 individuals are are safe. Their sort of parliamentary seats are 
pretty much confirmed. Yes, whether they go into government or opposition is another question because I think as we've been discussing in, in the last few days with the last few polls and the panorama poll today suggests exactly the same. That is all to play for and it's at the bottom of the list in place 17 and 18 which is determining government. Interestingly as well, Panorama also today saying that uh, the winner may have to govern with nine instead of ten. It's consistent with what our polls are showing. Very interesting. So so uh, shall we go through the individuals? Uh, who Who's safe then? You said ten people are, are more or less confirmed as the ten most popular by uh, consistently across the polls. Who are those ten individuals? Yeah, and interestingly, there have been consistently six candidates from the GSLP Liberals in the top ten and four from the GSD. That is across all the polls. So for the GSLP Liberals, we have Fabian Picardo, Gemma Arias Vasquez, Joseph Garcia, Christian Santos, Nigel Featham and John Cortes. And then for the GSD, we have Keith Asopardi, Craig Sacarello, Damon Bocino and Roy Clinton. And what's interesting here, I think, as well, is a lot of the seasoned politicians, we've spoken about this again in the past, a lot of the seasoned politicians, those who we're used to seeing, and perhaps those who come to this election with a bit of a higher public profile. Then below the line, what would effectively be the opposition, but that slightly changes, the seven seats that we normally see in opposition, that's where it starts to vary. Although people like Edwin Reyes, Pat Orfila, they're consistently safe or safer. It's people like Joe Bosano. VJ Darianami. Amazingly, really, given his longevity in Parliament. 51 years in Parliament for Joe Vosano. Yes, Youssef Elhana, um, Daniela Tilbury, Atrish Sanchez. And that's where it started to change. Our polls have been suggesting that Daniela Tilbury has perhaps uh, gone slightly lower. She just gets in on 17. She's the last person across the line into Parliament. Correct. And that's exactly what Panorama is saying today as well. That similarity also exists in, in Panorama. Uh, but instead of putting Joe Bosano before the, um, below the line and therefore out of Parliament, it puts Giovanni Origo. So that is the difference between the polls because Yusef so, Elhana... So, so, so uh, the Panorama uh, poll has nine GSLP uh, effectively government ministers. Correct. And, and eight GSD uh, parliament, uh, uh, members of parliament as the opposition. Yeah, the Panorama poll gives the GSLP Liberals a government of nine, and again with a 0.5% lead, which, if you remember, is exactly what our first poll predicted, a 0.5 lead, but ours sort of did it for the GSD, yeah. not the GSLP but, Liberals. And I think it's because, Jonathan, it's so close. So yeah, You look at the swing, at the margin of error, I mean, any of these results could be possible to, on the night. To, to be fair, the swing is in favour of the alliance. They are the ones who, who have uh, some momentum in terms of, on, on a graph, where their, where their votes are going in the polls, that their votes are going up. The question is whether, uh, well, not just how far up it goes by the time we reach Thursday. Uh, the question also is, um, what happens at the bottom, as you've said, because it's not who gets the most votes. I mean, it is possible that we look at a pie chart like the one that the GBC and the Chronicle newspaper have published, where potentially there's a majority of votes for one party, in, in, in this case, in the last GBC poll, for the uh, uh, GSLP Liberals. That's correct, yeah. Where they do not form government, because it's not who gets the most votes. It, it's who gets 
a majority of MPs into Parliament. And I think your comment on uh, making headway for the GSLP Liberals is absolutely fair and correct because they came on the, on the poll, on the GBC Chronicle poll at 49.9%, 1.6% ahead of the GSD from all the polls. It's the biggest margin given to the GSLP Liberals, but although they did win on votes, they failed in this poll to get more than eight candidates over the line and therefore they would go to opposition. So, so it's effectively about how unpopular their least popular candidates are. <laughs> I think that's a really good way of putting it. And also, as we've been discussing, that it's probably the undecided who are deciding this election. Yeah, because... Um, both teams vying for government um, uh, want a, a block vote. Both the GSLP Liberals and the GSD are saying, if you want us in government, you need to vote for all ten of us. Um, Robert Vasquez, the independent candidate, is uh, pretty much saying, give me your spare vote. If you don't think that you, you like, you know, sort of the ten of any one team, uh, give me one of your one of your votes um and and what the polls are suggesting given the mixed nature how they're interspersed is that people effectively are thinking about split splitting their vote and and not block block voting a, a significant number of them and we also know from the figures at least from both of ours that uh, not all votes were used there is a percentage of people who are not block voting and who are not actually even not going for 10 candidates. So it's not like they're voting for five and five. I mean, we wouldn't have the exact dynamic, but we know that there are a number of votes from all the people that we've polled that are not being used. Uh, what we don't have, and this, this is not a criticism, everybody can run their polls uh, as they wish, what we don't have are the figures uh, from the Panorama poll to compare with ours. So, for example, we know that in each, in each of ours, we've polled 600 people, a total of 1,200 between both our polls, um, we don't know how many ballots were returned to the Panorama poll. And also, I don't know from the list that they've published the number of votes between candidates. I mean, they do give a paragraph, but between 17 and 18, which in the Panorama poll is Daniela Tilbury and Giovanni Origo, I mean, it wouldn't make a difference for the government because no. they're both GSD candidates. But I don't know between them and Vijay Daryanani, who's on 20, and Joe Bosano, who they place in 15, we don't know whether we're talking about one, two, or, or 20 votes. I mean, they do say in their piece that uh, the poll is so tight that all this could change and that the debate between the leaders when voters will determine who they want as their chief minister will play an even more vital role in forming opinions this time round. They're actually pointing to GBC's head-to-head -head with the leaders tomorrow as potentially the deciding factor in this election. A 90-minute heavyweight knockout, potentially, uh, fight, uh, which Christine Vasquez is going to um, uh, moderate for us. Uh, the real takeaway is it's just too close to call. I was just going to use that exact sentence because that's what the headlines are giving us, and I think that is spot on. Basically, what we are getting from all the polls, you can look at one and you can sort of pour through the data of another one and then pick holes in one and then take the bit that you want from the other one. The election is too close to call. That is what the polls are telling us, that it is, for all intents and purposes, neck and neck, and that there could be a handful of votes in it. Potentially, even what the polls are suggesting already is that there could be a recount for the 17th and 18th place 
if it comes down to the wire, if it's that close. Do, do we know how close it needs to be in order for a recount to be tr- re- tr- like triggered? And I know that we, I think, have heard uh, the uh, Chief Secretary, Darren Grech, give an indication as to when such a recount might take place. Yes, and I think that uh, there would be plans for civil servants to take a rest, potentially over the, the Friday, and start a recount on the Saturday. What I'm not quite sure, Jonathan, is whether that would be an entire recount, or if it's just a 17 and 18. It could be that if it's just between two candidates, it's recounted in the morning or at the end of a very, very long night. Uh, I'm not quite sure how, how that would play out. Uh, I don't think there is a margin. I think it will depend on the election agents, how on the, the parties are feeling. On, no? Exactly, on the representations to the returning officer, and, and that will be ultimately a judgment call. What I think may be significant, and again, if the polls are to be believed, they are only polls at this stage, is that although there is... Nobody wants to be out of Parliament. Everybody wants to be in the top 17. But it's not the same if the 17th and 18th place are from one party as if the 17th and 18th place belong to different parties. Because if 17th and 18th place determines who governs... Because it's 9 and 8. Because it's 9 and 8. And I don't want to give it less importance to somebody staying out, but the significance of it and the reality of it is that that may need a recount yeah. because it's about who gets into government with nine of their MPs. That could be the determining factor. Yeah, I think those individual MPs might have their own sort of personal uh, thoughts <laughs> on course. the matter. But <laughs> but as you say, it wouldn't make a difference potentially to, to who got into government if, for example, the Panorama poll were correct. If our poll is more accurate, then it would make a difference. Uh, correct, exactly. That's, that's exactly... It's, it's about who's who are below the line, how many of the candidates and who's 17 and who's 18. And I know that we haven't had time to maybe look at that election poll too uh, from GBC uh, because an interesting thing that happens below the line is that our two polls have put Joe Bosano, Vijay Daryanani, Yusef Elhana and Robert Vasquez as the bottom four. Ultimately, I suppose that when you have 21 candidates standing for election... It's almost a pity because it's almost about who, who are the four who are, who are the, going to miss out. Who are the out. weakest links. Exactly. And it's about who people perceive to be the weakest link. If people are not block voting, that has a huge effect on the actual election result. And although all the parties, Jonathan, like me, you've heard this many, many times over the last few weeks, the only poll that counts is the poll on the night. That's what you, the, the candidates told you last that's night what, on election That's watch. what the candidates tell us. But then... They go on to say all of them, especially if you are GSD or GSLP Liberals, call for that block vote. Because I think when you look at the polls, it will scare parties, it will scare individuals, and it shows that nobody is safe in this election. Let's have a quick recap of the closing statements made in last night's debate on democracy and style of governance. Uh, And I think that sort of um, vindicates what you've just said. And I will make sure that I continue my forceful arguments to ensure that politicians deliver their promises to you. We have seen um, how we are dealing now with a uh, government in the shadows, as I said before, in relation to the National Economic Plan. Um, We could be facing a cliff edge. And I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and those sporting bodies 
within the affordability of Gibraltar's budget, can count on my total and undivided support as I have done for 16 years. Remind people that this is probably the most important elections in our political history and that if they want a safe pair of hands and a team that will get the job done to vote for the GSLP Liberals. What are the threats to democracy? Well, in Europe, look, totalitarianism, a war in Europe. We have fa fake news, social media, populism and also hate. Those are the threats to democracy and that's where we need to be vigilant. OK, so actually, uh, in, in their statements, they did call for block votes, as you were suggesting, James. But we heard the voices there of Joseph Garcia in reverse order, uh, Leslie Brusson for the Alliance. Before them, we heard from Edwin Reyes and Damon Bocino for the GSD. And first up was Robert Vasquez, the independent candidate. We've had three polls, which I think... Um, is is very interesting in during an election campaign and and if, if forgive me for pointing it out, I know that you've only been the GBC chief executive for the past year, uh, but but also against the backdrop of no polls uh, for a long time. In fact, I think since uh, the last general election, um, it's been really interesting because it gives you figures and it gives you real data to understand and help make sense of the politics and, and the many things that are being said around us. Uh, so perhaps we can go through each of them uh, one by one, starting with the GBC Chronicle poll uh, published uh, about a, a week ago. Yes, that was the, the first one that we did with the names of the candidates. You will recall we oh, did a first poll. There's been four polls, There's hasn't been four it? Polls, yeah, yeah. Three of ours and, and one from Panorama. But you will recall there was the first uh, original poll which was conducted before uh, the candidates were known at a time when we started collating information and the general election has still not been called. Um, so that was the first one. And that, the, what, that showed us that there were, at the time, a huge percentage of the population or of the electorate, according to the poll, who were undecided. More than 30% had told us they didn't know how they were going to vote and that they would be closely following the GBC radio and TV coverage. So poll number one, GBC Chronicle poll, that gave a 0.5% lead to the GSD. It put the GSD on 492 the GSLP Liberals on 48.7 gave Robert Vasquez 2.17. And that was the first time that we saw that interspersed blue and red at the top, the top 17, being very, very mixed. So that was the first one. The second poll then gave us very similar results. And what we did was we did one of these polls in-house and we contracted the other poll because we wanted to see whether there were similarities or differences. And gosh, were they so, so similar. The only difference is it gave a 1.6% lead in votes to the GSLP Liberals. But again, it predicted a GSD government of nine and an opposition of eight for the GSLP Liberals. And this morning, the Panorama poll dropped, giving the GSLP Liberals a 0.5% lead against, again, marginal, but this time predicting that the GSLP Liberals would take nine of their MPs over the line and form government. The 9-8 figure is one that all the polls are predicting. It's so tight, it could go either way, and we really are talking of a swing, of potentially a handful of votes. So, so I mean, oh, it's just so close um, and, and exciting. I mean, from a, from a neutral perspective, uh, nail-biting, I'm sure, for anyone who has skin in the game. Uh, and then, then just to recap, one of the most interesting things uh, about this is because the votes seem to be interspersed, if that is replicated on the night, it means that 
the the thing that we need to look out for is not, and because it's set to be so close, is not necessarily which party gets the most votes. It's number 17 and number 18. Uh, who is the last member into Parliament, the 17th placed uh, candidate, and who isn't the 18th place? Yeah, it could be that uh, the in being interspersed changes and you could put more of your candidates towards the top. It's all about... But it, it, can you form a government? And that's it's about the, that's the having, bottom line, isn't it? The bottom line is you need to get nine of your candidates over the line because I think you're right in your analysis, but that's according to the polls. Really what we need to know is who can get nine, potentially ten, even if you get ten and they're interspersed, but you have ten, then you go to government. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.